Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHH-FM. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines <laughs> on the stories that make New Haven tick. Now, it's usually Mayor Monday, but it's Martin Luther King Day. Happy Martin Luther King's birthday, everybody. It's my favorite holiday, I have to say, on the calendar. A great day for us to think about our values as a nation and what we can do to make the world better. Mayor Tony Harp is off today. And we've got two other folks in the headline in our studio who helped to make New Haven and our state tick. State Representatives Juan Condelaria of New Haven and Joshua Elliott from right over the border in Hamden. They make things happen in the legislature, and they're here in the studio to give us a preview of what they have planned for the new state legislative session that begins February 1st. A special thanks to Yellow Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. Hey, guys, thanks for coming in on Monday morning. Great to see you. All right, Josh, uh, just checking your mic level, too. Am I doing all right? All right, you're doing okay. Okay. So, guys, there are a lot of uh, issues, some unfinished business. You guys got involved in last session that didn't get passed, but might get passed this year. I'm going to be asking you about that. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about the big issues that everyone's working on up there. I'm going to ask you about election year. But first, I wanted to ask you about Puerto Rico, because, I mean, one of the biggest natural disasters in this country in a season of natural disasters. Right. When, was the horrible Hurricane Maria, the uh, devastation caused that island that will be there for generations to come and, and our country's official non-response to it for the most part. Juan Condelaria, you've been very involved in that issue. Both, I know you lost an aunt, and I'm sorry about that. I remember you couldn't get information on it because of the lack of telephone service, electricity on the island. But you've also been involved in your official capacity. At least twice in the last week, we've seen you dressed up as one of the three kings, um, bringing gifts to some of the families who have located here at last count. I think there were 180 kids um, and, and hun- hundreds more, just adults, families moving here. And you, um, how does this run into your role as a state legislator? How, what have you been trying to do and what are you going to do in 2018? Because this is long-term damage in that. Uh. So, Paul, there's a couple of things that we have been doing um, especially for the families. Uh, as you know, the mayor has put all her resources to help with this effort as well. So the families that have come here from Puerto Rico, we have been working with Junta for Progressive Actions, ensuring that we give families the resources that they need, help them with housing, ensuring that they have the health care that they need, uh, and all the other services possible. So that has been working out very well. We want to make sure that these families feel welcomed in New Haven, and that is actually happening. Um, a lot of these families left the island because they, they were afraid. They had nothing to go to. A lot of them lost their homes. They lost family members. And to come to this new land, as we see it for them, it's a new land, um, but the land of opportunity for them to begin establishing their lives here. Uh, my goal is to ensure that I work with all stakeholders to ensure that we provide all the needed services. So it's critical that um, we continue to work. Uh, I've done a lot of work with um, even at the, in the island. As you know, we did a couple of fundraisers. We raised over $130,000. Well, way to go. Yeah, which is excellent. We've already sent three containers to the island. We have one more that will be sending what's out. It, what's in the containers, Juan? Uh, from water, food, medical supplies, you name it, we're sending even bicycles. We've sent in the containers. Is clean water one of the challenges there? That's still a challenge in uh, in the central parts of the island. Um, they still have an issue getting uh, drinkable water in that section of the island. So that has been a challenge. So for one of your while. roles has been 
to help. I know you've worked with some other folks in organizing the events to raise the money. Over $130,000 in supplies. Did you physically go to Puerto Rico? I'm actually leaving to Puerto Rico Saturday. Saturday. Okay. So we've been working in Puerto Rico already with the Fundación Puerto Rico. It's a foundation in Puerto Rico that has been helping those on the island. And uh, we have purchased over 200 mattresses with box sprints that have been delivered already. We've been working with a medical institution where those sections of the island that individuals are in oxygen tanks, but they don't have the electricity. We were able to purchase battery operated. Oh, wow. So interesting. You think about exactly things that you need. would not think of. So uh, we've been doing a lot, a lot of the and work. Is your family completely of Puerto Rican descent? Is that, did you yes. come from Puerto Rico? Yes. Well, how old were you when you came here? I was eight years old when I came to New Haven. And why did your family come here? Well, you know what? We, we, my parents were looking for a better opportunity for us. Uh, my grandmother already lived in New Haven. Um, so that was basically the, the first place that my parents decided to go to. And now, so now you're a state legislator. So in addition to being able to really raise a lot of money to make a difference, some people there, you've also been in your official role, as I said, welcoming people at public events, the Three King events to make people feel part of the community. Is there anything that's going to go on at the legislature? The federal government's dropped the ball. Is there a role for state government in this? I think there is a role, and that's been part of our, the, the bigger conversation on what that role is. As you know, a lot of the um, families that have moved into the state of Connecticut, there has been added additional students to our school systems. So we need additional resources in our schools. So that's another conversation that we need to have when we look at other type of resources like SNAP, for example, cash assistance. When we talk about housing, which has been the biggest challenge for these families, is how to define housing. As you know, with um, TSA has been extended into That's March. temporary family assistance. Temporary family assistance has been extended into March, but we don't know what's going to happen beyond that. So in the meanwhile, we have, we're working with our federal delegation to try to identify where do we go from here and identify <coughs> housing, which is the biggest challenge, like I said earlier. And I guess are most of the families coming in in your district, you have both Fairhaven and the Hill one? Correct. And that's where our large Latino and immigrate, well, they're not uh, immigrants from outside the country, but they come from Puerto Rico, live. Correct. Um, do, do, you, um, do you have a lot of contact with the folks who've come? Like, how many are in New Haven in addition to those 170, 180 kids? We have about 180 kids. We're looking at about almost 300 families. Wow. In New Haven already. So that's gonna, that might change the politics of the city because these are people who are citizens, right? So they can vote right away. <laughs> And, and these that's are your constituents. These are your voting constituents. These are voting constituents that moved into the district. Um, so we, uh, the other work that we were doing is registering all of them. Um, mm -hmm. And who's uh, has been doing a great job at that. And then, so at the state level, you talked about working with federal representatives, talk about getting the welfare money extended. You talked about housing. You talked about education. They specifically, what are you going to be doing at the Capitol? Is there going to be targeted money? Is it just more general money for New Haven? Or is there going to be targeted money? Because no Hartford's had even more families than New Haven come in from Puerto Rico. Right, so it will be, a, a, I think, a broader conversation with uh, the members of those urban cities. That's the type of conversation that we're going to have. How do we identify additional dollars so that we can allocate? And you like them to go specifically. So exactly. as you've been working, the first months in the AFMF, you've been working on Condelaria on getting the citizen money there for emergency aid on the island. And it sounds like at the legislature now, you're going to be working the families here getting more public assistance. That's correct. Any thoughts, Josh Elliott from Hamden across the line? Have you seen, I know you've had a growing Latino population in uh, Hamden. Have you seen any of the uh, Puerto Rican immigrants come here? Not in my district so much. I mean, basically I rely on, on my colleagues like Juan to let me know what he needs for me to be an ally and I'm there. Mm -hmm.
All right. Well, I want to wish you luck on that. I know in New Haven, the, the Puerto Rican issue. Any one family you've met stand out in your mind of the compelling personal story of those who've come? Actually, there is one family um, that moved in. Uh, one of their sons uh, has cerebral palsy. So that was the child. He's, he's bound to a wheelchair and um, trying to help the family get the medical help that they need right away. Uh, but putting those resources together, working with the uh, different uh, nonprofits like Junta, uh, Cornell Scott, Fairhaven, those organizations have been very instrumental in ensurance that the families that come in are provided with medical services. So is that part of what it means to be an elected official at the local level? You make a call to someone at Cornell Scott Hill Health Center to make sure as the kid with cerebral palsy gets treatment? Correct. All right. Correct. It's um, working with them, ensuring that that process does happen. And, and for the record, as you know, I work with Cornell Scott Hill Health Center. So I've, I was personally met with the family um, and, and helping that, you know, that transition is very smooth for them. And for the record, we're talking to state representatives Juan Condelario and Josh Elliott from New Haven and Hamden, respectively, on Dateline New Haven at WNHHFM, your home for community radio, 103.5 FM live streams at New Haven and Penn.org. You guys are both Democrats, and you both have had your names in some legislation together. Now, if I'm not mistaken, one bill you guys both sponsored last year that did not pass but gained momentum was legalizing the recreational use of marijuana in our state. Now, Josh Elliott, a lot's happened since last year. One thing is that Massachusetts now made it legal in some other states. We have more data in on what's happening in Colorado. And we have the Attorney General of the United States saying, not so fast, guys. Jeff Sessions, who famously said, famously said I always liked the Ku Klux Klan until I found out they smoke pot. <laughs> he said, we're going to try to stop these laws because federal law supersedes local law. And it's throwing this industry, which is a billion dollars a year in Colorado alone, in disarray, California just legalized. What's that going to mean this year for your quest to legalize marijuana in the state? What will it mean? So my feeling is we have the same legislative makeup that we had last year. So the question really is, of those you know, 17 Democrats that weren't on board, or the number of Republicans that weren't on board, how many of them have changed their mind? And how many of these different dominoes falling across the U.S. is going to be enough to change their mind? For some people, if the question is about you know, children's health, then maybe they don't think that anything that has happened in the last year matters in terms of where they are on the issue. If they still think it's a matter of public health and, and people getting DUIs, maybe they still haven't changed their mind. So we don't really know until we get back in a session, and there's so many different avenues for Have this bill to die. Have you touched base with people? Is there anyone you, you know you can change the mind who seem kind of on the fence? I don't have a lot of faith in changing someone's mind in an individual conversation. I believe a lot in the power of touches, in that if someone hears from a various sources over the course of time, that I think that is eventually what changes somebody's mind, and they also have to be willing to uh, change their mind on their own. Uh, and I don't know how many people are actually open to that. Uh, we'll see. I'm I'm not particularly bullish. And, and I think that you know, and Juan certainly knows, that a lot of my mentality and philosophy right now is really just changing up the legislative makeup. And it just might be easier. And we're going to get to that. Sure. Um, I'm very interested in this idea of you don't believe that you're going to change people's mind in personal conversation. Mm -hmm. I didn't quite follow what the alternative that is. Is that organizing popular sentiment in their district? Is it watching them react to what happens nationally? What do you think, Juan? Actually, it's about working within their districts. 
I think that has been part of part of one of the strategies because we've been working with a lot of different groups is they have a key constituency that supports this measure. And you're not just talking about this, you're talking about a lot of progressive issues. Right? Exactly. So, but this particular issue that they supported, because I've met with some of them throughout the state, um, and is having those conversations with them so that they can reach out to their respects their, their leader. So you've actually talked to some of the people I have, who are I have spoken to some of those constituents. Like where? Um, give you a prime example. Um, Westport, um, we have groups in actually right here in Hamden. Mm-hmm. And since you've been on board, I know they have those conversations with Is you. Is there a Hamden legislator who's not on board? Um, I'm not sure. No, we're all on board. You're all on <laughs> yeah. board, right? Yeah. And in Westport, there's someone who's not Democrat. Right. So well, there is Senator me. George so, Logan, who's a Republican, who's not on board. George Logan. So there, is, there is one. Right. And mm-hmm. you also have Stanford, for right. example. I know I've spoken to some people up in Stanford. Yep. Uh, because there are some Democrats and stuff. And how that close are you to having enough support for this to pass? How big a gap is there? It's hard to know. I, and I think because we never got it up on the board last year to actually get a vote. But you we, said 17 Democrats. Well, that's what it was at last count, maybe like six, eight months ago. You know, But a lot has changed since then, as you said. A lot has changed in both directions. So you got sure. Colorado who said there are too many driving while intoxicated. Because originally the idea was, I think no one disagrees with this, it's more dangerous to drive drunk than on pot. But, Correct. But that they said we've had more dangerous... Uh, driving because of pot, and the, so now police chiefs have kind of come against it. On the other hand, but they're have, also doing more testing though too. Exactly, and so I it's think hard that's for us to really issue. know. I mean, I think we've been always had this challenge. You know, the question is, you know, are people driving under the influence, or are they being tested pot? more? Mm-hmm. Right, they're testing more now, mm-hmm. so now you're actually keeping track. And right? are they right. smoking right. pot anyway, whether or not it's legal? Exactly. Right. I mean, when you, I mean, the Connecticut underground market, how much is this? Probably over three hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. So it actually, it's being smoked. And actually, the other part of what this is that our children are having access to it. It's available in the schools, and people are not having that conversation. That's a fact. And meanwhile, Governor Malloy, who was against legalizing records issue, you said that since Massachusetts was legalizing, we're kind of getting to the point Mm -hmm. where we're just going to have to do it unless Jeff Sessions gets in the way. Can I ask you both, starting with Juan, because this has been an important issue to you too, Juan. And Josh, you spoke publicly how you smoke marijuana. Mm-hmm. And do you, Juan, smoke marijuana? No, I don't. But oh, yet come this, on, Juan. But yeah, yeah. People, people would assume, you know, that's the joke up at the Capitol, that people assume that I do. I got to tell you that I kind of assumed you didn't. Although as a reporter, I'm not supposed to assume. But the reason I ask this is because this has been a very important issue to you. And it's a very important issue to a lot of people who don't smoke pot. I mean, exactly. I haven't smoked pot for decades, but yeah, it's an important issue to me too. What what is the reason that this is a major issue to you? Because you were a prime sponsor. Yeah, and the major reason was my ch- my children. And I think I had this conversation openly in the floor of the house, um, specifically with my son. You know, my son would tell me how how marijuana was available in the school, not only marijuana but other drugs, and mm. was readily available to all of them. So it was at that moment they realized that they do have access to it in the schools. And yet we need to do some measure. We need to have a measure to control it. I mean, we're not never going to eliminate marijuana. There's no question from the black market. We'll never eliminate it. But we'll reduce the amount that's available to our children. If we really want to tackle the issue of our children smoking marijuana, mm-hmm. we need to legalize it. And that will have a, de- a reduction. Because if you think about it, it is the drug dealers that have an incentive to sell you a harder drug. Mm-hmm. If the states regulates it, we don't have incentives to sell you any other hard And what's drug. the difference between marijuana and cocaine? I would assume you don't want to legalize cocaine, correct? Or I would. would you? I would legalize everything. You would legalize everything. What about you, Juan? I mean, I see it as a mental health issue. Um, I, I don't think that these harder drugs are good for you. 
Uh, I just don't think that making a drug illegal and punishing people is the way that you actually tackle the mental health issues or the addiction issues uh, that, that stem from this. I think it's more expensive. I think it's n not ethical and not moral. And I think that if we actually want to reduce rates and we legalize and treat it as a mental health issue. Dominic and, and it's Divino, a social justice issue as well because it ends up we target people of color at disproportionate rates than everybody else. Dominic Davino writes in, I need it for anxiety, but it's not allowed or I will be punished. Thanks for posting on uh, Facebook, Dominic Davino, and for listening to Dateline New Haven. What about you, Juan, when you hear about the racial justice issue? I know that's an issue for uh, many uh, public officials of color. It has, is that up in your mind? Is that one of the... People say that uh, people of color are disproportionately arrested for selling or using marijuana. Well, when you actually look at the numbers, that's actually a fact. Um, the number of minority arrested are versus the white, you're seeing that number is a lot larger. So that's a fact. There's been a lot of studies done here in our own state. So when you look at traffic stops uh, and you look at that report, uh, minorities are definitely targeted more than anybody else. It's used as an excuse. And are you guys going to be reintroducing this bill this year? Oh, yes. yes. What about money? Some people say, let's not count on it for money. Some people say, what, are we going to get a half a uh, billion dollars a year? Or is that overstating? Oh, no, year? overstating. That's somewhere between 50 to 150 right, million 50 a year. That's, that's probably okay. a good range. Well, that's, that's in the first year. We're estimating right. about 50 to 100. Then you see in the following years increasing. Yeah. Um, so definitely it's a great revenue source it takes time to build up the infrastructure but I, exactly but the thing is that uh, i know in my part and i know you as well josh we don't want to talk it from the point of revenue generating revenue Correct. although that's a big part of it but it's not the main reason why i Correct. support it or you support Correct. it um and then when you look at our state you see our revenues declining and yet we need to start thinking about these type of policies to ensure that we balance our budget because we cannot continue to balance the budget in the back of the working families. Right now there has been a lot of cuts in our budgets are detrimental. I know there's many cuts into uh, mental health, mm -hmm. right? Uh, cuts to uh, nonprofit agencies that are providing direct services to members and within my community. Um, they're, they're feeling that impact services will be lost. So when we look at the bigger picture, we need to start thinking outside the box. And I think this is one of the solutions to generate that revenue as well. Now, you also talked about health issue. Is that because you thought more people get treatment or that marijuana is good for you? Because we have it made medical marijuana is legal. And that was Malloy's point. He feels it is legal. You're dealing with the medical issue. Although a lot of people get medical marijuana or don't really need it for medicine. They mm -hmm. get someone to sign it. So you say, just bring it out in the open and make it all above board. Mm-hmm. And where would people buy it? Would there be government, like they do government well, liquor stores in New Hampshire? What do you think? Small amounts where people grow their own and sell I their own? Philip Morris? Yeah, I mean, we, we should have the ability to allow people to grow their own plants, first of all. Uh, you know, not to the point where they could be players in the marketplace, but enough for themselves. I know there's a big push for that. And in terms of how it's going to get regulated, it'll be regulated in the same way that medical is regulated right now. You know, a slightly different paradigm, and it, it'll be done under this, the same uh, head of, uh, you know, the, the alcohol division. And you know, so we have this framework in place, and uh, this regulatory framework. And we can also be taking bits and pieces from other states, too. So, um, I mean, we're not we're not starting this from scratch. The the building blocks are already out there. And my daughter was saying why she voted against it in California, even though she's a huge proponent of pot legalization, because she thought it was written in a way to neighbor the big players like Philip Morris to come in at tobacco companies and corner the market. There's a big Is that push. an issue in your, and how are you going to address that as oh, yes. a, as a uh, legislator? There's a big push for the first couple of years to allow people of color to be the first entrance into the market. Since people, how can you do that legally? How can you do it legally? 
I don't know. I mean, you can't limit non-people of color. I guess you could have minority small business. So you talk about minority small business grants to be Correct. pot dealers? Correct. What do you I'm, think, Juan? I, I, I actually agree with that. Um, um, that has been a conversation because if you look at the models in other states, there hasn't been anything written within the the, the, the bill mm -hmm. that allows for minority to enter the business. Yeah. I even recall when I go back to when we did medicinal marijuana here in the state of Connecticut, Those that was one of my objections to it. I support the measure, but my objection was that you're not allowing minorities to really enter the business unless it's a right. minority that does have money. Um, so, so the idea you can't stop the tobacco company, but you can give a leg up? You can give a leg up. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, at the end of the day, you can't stop market forces, right? So after a couple of years, even if you give someone a leg up, you know, there are some of these big companies that will start kind of just conglomerating or and, or and you, buy the local minority entrepreneur well that's, that's yeah exactly that's yeah. the point I'm making too and, and another large part of this too that we should be talking about as well is the expungement of the criminal records uh so that we can make sure that people who have been adversely affected by some of these laws in the past aren't going to be adversely affected going into the future so as part of your bill would you have marijuana possession offenses wiped off people's absolutely records? no question and yeah. how would that work like all just that that's all gone I think that we just have to have this conversation and just getting people on board with the idea that people shouldn't be punished for uh, something that we now agree is non a non-punishable offense that you know people shouldn't be continuing to bear the aftermath of what that. would the age line be for you when it'd be legal to smoke marijuana for me it's 25 and i know there's a strong 25 you 20, oh, sorry 21 uh mm -hmm. and i think there's a strong argument to be made for 25 plus because of the issue of brain development um, but the idea to me is that if we're saying that people have reached the age of majority at 18, yeah, then that's yeah. the point that you should be able to make your decisions that affect your body. You know, and there's still the issue of DUIs and people driving while under, uh, you know, the influence. See, I just think they should not people. give driver's license to males until 25. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I really believe that about really? brain development. I really think that the biggest menace is males. They really physically can't process right how to drive. Mm -hmm. until 25 True, but you know what when we say that Paul also but we're staying here i mean no, it's never gonna at, happen right, i realize that, happen, but, but at 18 but... you can vote mm -hmm. and 18 you, you, you can, can be drafted yeah right yeah mm -hmm. exactly so if i'm at 18 i can go out and fight a war right then at least at 21 i should be able to smoke pot if right. i wanted to <laughs> cigarettes too cigarettes too we made that distinction between 18 21 for alcohol which you know has actually a change i think even within the last few decades and that came more really from the federal government than than uh, on a statewide and Facebook basis. Comments right. are limits should be thirty and up. We do need to have this conversation. Minorities are subject to this, and that's not right. Also, the poor that go to jail, where the typical white guy mm -hmm. will and does not and does get a free oh, getaway free card. So you're going to bring it up again this year. One thing Josh has mentioned before, Juan, on the show, is that he feels that there's a precedent where people don't have bills come up for vote if the support's not there. And that he thought there's actually, tell me if I have this right, Josh, that he's advancing the idea that if you're pushing for something to become law, let's say Martin Looney for so many years for the mm -hmm. earned income tax credit, for instance, mm -hmm. that it's important to get it up for a vote every year, have the debate, build the support, get people on record, and then that, that in fact, even if you're going to lose. Thoughts on that? I actually agree with that. I think that you need to expose the policy. You need to have the debate. Even with Mar with the... Uh, Recreation marijuana. I've done that because but it's more than that, right? Though we need more than the debate. We, we need, need more than the debate. At the beginning, I wasn't. I didn't even get a public hearing on the recreation marijuana. I had to force a hearing on the issue, right? And it was an informational hearing mm -hmm. at that, but it got the attention. Then on the Florida House, I brought up the bill. I did an amendment of the bill, and I, at least I had the opportunity to discuss 
recreation marijuana in the Florida House. So I agree totally with Josh. I don't, even if you don't have the votes, but you know, within that debate, you may capture those votes that you need. Maybe you will change people's mind because they're hearing your side of the story. But get in mind, we're also finding on the record where people stand if you want to advance right. over exactly. Well, there's also this mentality of creating an illusion of forward progress. So, you know, the first year, maybe you have a hot button topic and you say, all right, well, we are, we're obviously not going to get it through, so let's have a hearing. And then the next year you say, well, you know, we had a hearing, but it's obviously not going to get through, so let's just debate it on the floor. Then you say, okay, well, it's obviously not going to pass, so this year we already had a debate, so maybe let's put it up for a vote. And it's just, there's no real reason why you can't do all of those steps in one go. And that's my frustration is like, why extend that process? Why not get right there, get to the vote? People don't like it. They don't like it. That's fine. We see where people are at. And if it turns out that the constituency is totally fine with us shooting down marijuana, no problem. But we already saw last year. We went from 63% to 71% in the course of about six months in terms of approval in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because of op-eds that people are writing because it's in, in the news and the press. And even if people are having conversations about how they don't like it, they're having conversations about it. And I think eventually what will happen is that, you know, some objective truth will emerge by all these different conversations. So and public we'll support is built there. to 71%, but you say it is going to come up this year. Absolutely. You're going to introduce it. And you're not, Josh didn't sound optimistic it's going to pass. How about you, Lon? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Yeah. And part I'm of not my. Sure what's going to happen. Part of my non optimism is just, you know, expectation setting for myself and for the constituency. Because there's always a possibility. There's a number of Republicans who came up to me after the debate, the debate on the floor and said, you know, Josh, if it's this, if it's this, if it's this, then I'll vote for it. And all those things are things we, we're talking about in terms of children getting their hands on it, in terms of DUIs. So if we address these issues, people who uh, are not staunchly in favor or against and just aren't public, there will be a number of people that actually come out and vote for this. That's why, for me, it's so important getting it up on the board. Don't worry about getting those numbers beforehand because we'll see. And there's a good chance it actually could have passed last year if we had had the political will just to get it up and get that vote. How does the Trump election, especially... Trump administration's position now, especially in an election year, he's reversed the position of the Obama administration, which is not to have prosecutors, directing prosecutors, federal prosecutors, not to deal with marijuana crimes unless, you know, it's gangs or violence. Mm-hmm. Um, how does the decision by Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, to rescind that policy affect your ability to pass this law in Connecticut? I don't think it changes it much. I mean, it gives the federal prosecutors that leeway to go after these crimes if they want to, but it's low-hanging fruit. Over the scope of all that they do, why would they be coming to states to, to you know, go after small Unless drug their offenses? boss tells them to. Unless their boss tells them to actively do it. Now, the verbiage he's using is more of the allowance as opposed to the proactive measure of going after this. So we'll see. And if that happens, you know, then we'll have to address that issue when we get to and it. And the Republicans are having the fight in-house. The, the Colorado senator who's the head of the Republican Senate campaign committee is livid at the... Trump administration over this because it's a billion dollar industry in a state he doesn't mm-hmm. want going away. How about the ability for it to run? Do you think California is going to have trouble unrolling, so to speak, its new system now that Sessions has targeted it? I think that will build up a lot of pressure. I think the more that the federal government does to go after this almost to, to me, what is like a non-issue at this point, the more uh, problems they will have for themselves as a party going into this year and going into the presidential election in, in two and a half, three years. 71%, that's a big number. That's a big number. Legal and you have to imagine it. if 71% are, are in favor, what percent does it take to actually get the ball over? You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. 80%, 85%, 90%. At, At what point is it a matter of just straight political expediency? Which is what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to really push this measure so the fact that you know it gets to 90%, let's say, that you really have no excuse uh, that you will absolutely not be able to keep your office if you don't go for it. And that's why I'm being so aggressive on this issue. 
Okay, well, we're talking about issues coming before the state legislature in 2018 with two people who make it happen. State Representatives Juan Condelaria and Joshua Elliott on Dateline New Haven at WNHHFM 103.5 FM live stream at newhavenindependent.org. Juan, this is an, an uh, off-year, meaning even number year. It's a shorter session, February through May, correct? Correct. And a lot of focus is on just fixing the budget. You don't pass a new budget. And a lot of bills that get introduced in other years, I guess you have a um, you have a, a, a limit on how many bills a member can introduce, right, in, in, in an even number year? I don't think so. No, no, there's no limit on the number of bills. Um, the issue with the shorter session is it has to be a committee bill. Mm-hmm. It has to be raised by the actual committee. Yeah, so last year, anybody or any could. bills that you submit has to be related to the budget. Correct. Okay, so you had three such bills that mattered a lot to New Haven last year that did not get over the goal line, Juan. Mm-hmm. You were trying to get bonding for transitional housing for Correct. female ex-offenders in New Haven. You're trying to get bonding for renovating the Barbell Club, the Trowbridge Square, which used to be uh, youth cooperative youth services, where Correct. they have no community center there in the There's hill. There's nothing in and the that hill. building's just been sitting there waiting. I think it even right. got renovated. So, um, yeah, that that bonding uh, actual proposal have, we submitted that a couple of times already. So I'm working hopefully this year and uh, put a little bit more pressure, see if we can get something. So going. those two is it going to be harder in an even number year if you weren't able to pass in the odd number and we actually did the budget from scratch, or is bonding a different animal? I'm optimistic that we'll have the opportunity to get something this year um, on both as, of those. On both of them, and as, also as you know, the other part is also that since there's no revenues, a lot of the, the a lot of the pranks are are funded through bonding. Um, so there might be an opportunity, definitely in that area. And this, this is fund. also, I mean. So the first year, anybody can introduce legislation. And this year, you can only introduce it if it is related to the budget. That said, you know, part of our job is relationship building. That's what politics is. It's relationship building. And we have relationships with all the chairs. Not necessarily good relationships. I'm sure Juan had maybe has some better relationships than I do. But the whole notion is that because he has these relationships, that even though he himself can't be introducing some of these bills the and some of these bonding can. packages is that the chairs can and the committees can. So it's just Is that considered budget related if it's bonding? Can you have a bill I for don't bonding? No. I would assume so. I, I believe so. Oh, and Marshall Dio's Cruz uh wrote in on Facebook, how would the legalization of marijuana affect nonviolent drug offenders serving sentences for possession and distribution? Of marijuana any thoughts on that a, a big part of what i'm trying to accomplish too and i'm sure juan is on board with this is the idea oh well we mentioned this the expungement of uh, that includes dealing distribution uh i don't know i, I we, we actually haven't had much of that conversation for my i can speak for myself personally and i would say yes um that i think i think the issue the becomes line. more I, of like I a think, tax think, issue think, and a regulation each issue each case will be different right sure when we look in when we talk about distribution when we talk about what type of distribution are we talking about how much are we talking about um that's the way i would look at it i could be right? swayed either way depending on the, so, depending on the argument i think on, on this issue but i think um in order to pass such a measure where we'll try to get support from from our even from our own colleagues um, this conversation, we need to be a broader conversation as right. to what will it look like? Who will be those individuals that will get sponged right. based on what? So, right, um, like if somebody's selling an tons to and now. tons exactly. of weed a year, it's like what other sort of af- aftermath has been you know, an effect of that? Has there been you know, deaths or, or anything as a result of that? So it, it sort of transcends just the casual user or the casual seller if you have somebody who's exactly. doing like you know, industrial selling. Uh, I think there is a difference there. And yet we want to set up people of color to do industrial, small-scale industrial selling if this becomes legal. Sure. All right. I agree. 
Now, another big major bill that you guys have been pushing for years, and Juan's been out front, and then Josh, when he got elected, was raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, the Republicans who have gotten more and more power at the Capitol, now they're even in the state Senate, they're 79 to 72, they're the 72 in the House, and they get Republic, Democrats to vote with them for their budget. What are the chances? They are pretty lockstep against that. What are the chances of, of minimum wage, and are you going to be pushing that again this year? I would say the chance is 0% this year, and we'll be pushing very, very hard, just like usual I this totally year. I totally agree. 0% <laughs> will keep on pushing. Yep. I mean, the dynamics in the legislation has changed drastically. I've been there for the last almost 15 years, and I have not seen it this way, Old where hand. we are so close. And then we have some of our own colleagues within our caucus that are a little bit more conservative. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to even call them moderate. They're more conservative Democrats, uh, really siding with, uh, with the issues. Mm -hmm. So are you, again, you're going to introduce so this challenge. Though. You're going to introduce this even though it is 0%? Because of course, of our, okay. absolutely. Yeah, I think and this, this conversation needs to continue to happen. And I also think that we should have a vote on it. And I think mm -hmm. we should let the people in the public see where their legislators are. I think, again, for myself personally, and I know you said we're going to touch on this, is that I need people across the state to see where their representatives and senators are. It's an easier point for me to say, look at their voting record as opposed to, Here's the private conversation that I had with this person because I'm not trying to blow up anybody's spot. I'm not trying to have these conversations and then throw somebody in the bus. I want somebody to be on record and then I can just point to that record. That makes my job a whole lot easier. Okay, so let's now deal with that issue. So Josh Elliott this term did something that I think I've never done before. You're 33 years old, you're in your first term mm -hmm. and you polled your fellow Democrats Correct. on where they stand on some key issues for the progressive agenda from mm -hmm. $15 an hour minimum wage legalization of marijuana, so give backs to labor unions. Juan right gets an A plus, by the way. He, he gets an A plus on that. <laughs> so now you said you want to use this information to support primary challenges mm -hmm. to Democrats who aren't on board. In the last Correct. session we saw this historic, Juan said it's 15 years, never saw anything like it. We had our first split state Senate in a, over 100 years. And that Democrats sought it enough with Republicans that the Democratic version of the budget did not pass, mm -hmm. but the Republican budget did. Mm -hmm. And we undid an affordable housing law in the suburbs that it took many years for Democrats to pass, and those Democrats defected from Milford and Brantford, mm -hmm. and immediately, like within weeks, Act Milford killed an affordable housing plan in its wake. So Josh, you said, bring it on. I wanna know where you all stand. And then what I don't understand is why they fill it out. How did you get them all to fill it out? So to be clear, I'm not sharing this information with anybody because there were a number of people who said, I want to, I will give you this information, but I don't, you, I don't want you to share it. So it's information that I've been using for myself to know who my allies are. And the fact is, I think that all of the initiatives that I want to accomplish are things that we will eventually do. So, so the question really like becomes, 50, what are some of the others? $15 million an hour, legalizing marijuana, tolls on the highways, to right? Tolls, paid family and medical leave. Uh, just various voting issues, whether it's national popular vote or ensuring that you know we have uh, ballot access for people weeks ahead of time by being able to mail their ballot in, which which I know you have strong feelings on, Paul. You know, That's so, okay. So Doesn't matter. <laughs> I would I would not get supported by you. For like, so luckily, I'm not running no, for office. I I think you're the points you made, by the way. When and Mike I think was the like points in favor are very strong as well. And yeah, so but I I, I recognize and the, the and strength the, of your and argument the, and the. And the motivation behind it is strong and needed which is the fight back against right. measures to stop people from voting so so the issue to me is that i really believe that all the issues that i'm fighting for are, are issues that were are, are eventually going to become law because they just the the strength of the argument in of itself i feel like is there 
So then there's the issue of tactic. And I come at this from the business owner perspective. And there's a book called Good to Great. And one of the aspects of that book is you want to get uh, the right people on the bus and the wrong people off of the bus. And then I also take my mentality from this book called E-Myth, which stands for Entrepreneurial Myth, which is that you want to work on your business, not in your business. So I take those two uh, philosophies and mentalities to the work in the legislature. So my goal in terms of the legislature that I'm trying to be is not to actually be in there and hashing out the details of legislation. My goal is to work on the legislature as an entity, as an organization. Now, it's easy if I'm a business owner to say that you don't fit in with the culture. So unfortunately, this isn't going to work and we're going to find somebody that will will fit in. You know, with politics, you have to work with the constituency. It's the constituency that acts as essentially the board of directors where the legislator is the sort of the CEO in terms of uh, providing the mentality or the legislation for that town. So because of this, the only way that I can actually ensure that we have the good people in and the, and the not right people out is by pushing uh, constituencies, those boards of directors on the on the constituents level. And it means that I'm unfortunately going to have to be very, very public and in, in a way somewhat obnoxious uh, to a lot of people to make the point that I don't think that some of these people should be in the legislature because all they're doing is holding back what is and going to be coming our way ultimately. Alex Tarbus says, Josh doesn't throw people under the bus. He wants to drive the bus right <laughs> into him. So Josh, but why give this information if it's not gonna be public? How do we know who needs a primary according to the progressive vision? So, you know, I'm, I'm playing a balance there because I do want to be respectful of my colleagues in that I'm, I'm not trying to uh, publicly shame them and, and I want to be able to have that discourse with them. So let's look at, at my colleague, Michael D'Agostino, whose campaign I'm helping with in his run for AG. You know, last year, he was not a huge proponent of marijuana. And this year he is. And there's a number of issues that he's there on. So I'm going did, to be Did flexible. it take a couple of bong hits or what? Did <laughs> I, I'm not sure what got him there, but I can tell you <laughs> that his constituency is now very much vocal and very much active. And they are pushing him on a lot of issues. And he recognizes that if his constituents want something, that he's going to be there for them and with them. And I think that that is more of what I'm looking for. You know, if everybody in our caucus turns around tomorrow and is really, really proactive on a number of issues, I don't need anybody to be, be with me 100%. If you're with me 80%, that's good enough. But what I mean, Josh, part of the point here is that you and a lot of other people, including the mayor of New Haven, right. say that it's important to primary people. Let's just throw out a name like Lonnie Reed or Gail mm -hmm. Slosberg. Who are so fundamentally against what you're for right. that you're not a ruling party anymore, even if it means losing the seat in the general so that you build that constituency. So I, I disagree with some of that logic. So some of the fear, right, is that you have somebody primary, primary and incumbent. The person who comes in and primaries the incumbent, let's say they win, but then they go off and lose the general. Well, then you can say, but if the person who's the incumbent had stayed in, they would have won the general. And I think but that then the no argument way, is way, that no it didn't matter because they're still going to vote with the Republicans when it counts. Right. So almost to a degree, it, it, it doesn't matter. Maybe by having the Republican in there, you provide more pressure for the next time around to maybe get a more progressive Dem in there. But I, I think my point is more that I think these are stress tests. I think the primaries act as stress tests. And, and I want to be clear that I am not being hypocritical on this. If someone wants a primary from the left or right or wherever within the party, please go ahead and do it. So I had a conversation with the majority leader, Matt Ritter, and he said, OK, so who's one of the closest people that, that you're with in the House? And I said, James Albus from East Haven, who is a phenomenal advocate. And he said, OK, so I can tell you that if James is primaried, we're going to send all of our resources to protect him. And I said, I love James. I would not send resources to protect him because I want to spend those resources on the general election when we're fighting against Republicans. If somebody beats James Albus, that means that they are in a better position to win the general. And it's that simple. And I love James. And that and, and was I, the whole argument we had with Clinton and Sanders because people who have watched politics a long time say the opposite. They say right. the person who 
you win the primary with a core constituency that doesn't represent the middle and the middle wins general elections. That turned out not to be true in the presidential election that Hillary Clinton was that middle candidate. All you do is piss people off because you say one thing for a few months and then you say something completely different in the next few months. And I think that's just, you know, that's just politicking and that I, I think people are getting exhausted uh, from that mentality. I think you should be telling people who you are during the primary and be that person during the general. If you lose, then you lose. If you win, then you win. But be who you are. Don't change for political reasons. The number of times that we're in caucus talking about issues, but talking about issues within the context of is this good politics is a massive mistake because we're not talking about is it right is it moral? Is it ethical? We're talking, will this win us seats? Will people be able to keep their seats in more conservative so this districts? Is the part and I, I don't care about that. Here's the part that. I still don't get. So you're not using this poll you did to identify people to support primaries. Again. Oh, I sure am. But I'm using it for myself to do my sort of under-the-radar organizing. But why shouldn't you let people know this? I am, but I'm not doing it out in the press. You know, I'm having it in individual conversations. The idea is, again, I'm, I'm not trying... I want people to have the ability to change and and to and to get good on these issues. So you know, I and I have made it public with some of the really um, tragic characters in terms of going with the Republicans and saying, "Look at how I'm doing a, a bipartisan budget." When really all it does is go after our poor, go after our infirm, go after our elderly. Uh, so you know, when you talk about somebody like Lonnie Reed, who is who is a, a fine person, I like her personally. But the idea is that I think she's so bad on the issues that I've created a team and I'm I'm you know actively working to to make sure that there's a, a primary challenger there and i'll be doing it with some other senate candidates i'll be doing it with other other democratic candidates in the house and i also want to, to to pause for a moment too and be very very clear that just because i'm making a big stink about going after some of my own i am also going after every single republican in every single district so this isn't just me going after democrats this is me looking at the body as a whole because we did have 19 republicans run uncontested in 2016 and if you imagine that some of those seats are very difficult to obtain that's fine but let's say you have a 10 percent chance of winning these seats that 10 percent chance of those 20 seats is two votes and we were off on tolls by one vote so those two votes really matter in this case so i want to be very clear that that i am going to be working on all these races as well and and uh we got a comment in from andrea sangre hope i said your name right andrea and i apologize if i did not affordable housing 830g first change since 2000 june 2017 interesting how it got through and who it benefits milford this statute needs a major rewrite any thoughts Juan, on that you know what um initially when we on A30G initially had the conversation that they were going to change the statute, we were very all alarmed. And he was the, even members within our caucus. I said, you know, we need to engage in the, in the conversation because there there needs to be changes within the language. Um, if we don't have that conversation because the legislature was so close in votes and there were people within our own caucus that wanted to change it, we will get a, a, a final piece of language that's totally in disagreement in what we believe in. So there were some concessions made with this language. And as you have mentioned, Milford took advantage of this right away. Do we mm -hmm. need to go back and, and look at it again? I totally agree. I think we need to look at it. Um, providing moratoriums, moratoriums were extended for a longer period of times. That has become a, a bigger issue because I don't see as an incentive for a lot of these towns to really create affordable housing. I see this as a way of them just shying away of that, those constructions. Um, and they use the, the excuse about having a lot of these um, predatory uh, builders, as they would call it, right, or developers that will just develop 
in these towns because they can use the protection of 830G. So that has been always the biggest argument, predatory developers. But in fact, if the municipality was building affordable housing, you won't have the issue of the predatory developers doing it. All right. And have I missed anything, by the way, guys? Top priorities for this coming session? For I think tolls is, is, is another priority again yeah. this session. It's you amazing. I one, never thought I would care about tolls. <laughs> so, yeah. So one vote short last session. Yeah. Was that the House or the Senate? Uh, that was the House. I'm not sure where it was in the Senate. It's so like a completely how different are, world up there. You're going to bring that up again this year? That's oh, gonna, yes. Oh, definitely. Oh, yes. Definitely. I think that's going to come up this year. Also, another conversation is going to be casinos. Mm-hmm. And so how much revenue on the ha- on the tolls? Billions of dollars, yeah. not not every year. My, but I don't know that number top of my head. To be yeah, with you. but you you think tolls can make it? Would you be for con, uh, congestion pricing? Meaning sure. you charge more at higher absolutely. At, at hours. How about one person we've had on the show suggested having a different rate for people who live near one hundred percent? Yeah, and not only that, that's just good politics. That makes it easier for our members of the delegation that are in Stanford or in Danbury. To and, allow and, them and right, give them the argument. The, exactly. And that has always been part of the conversation. And it's interesting well. to me as someone who's followed this issue since the 80s when Tom Scott got the tolls killed after a truck driver named Klutz mm. fell asleep at the toll booth and killed people. Mm. How the whole basis of that conversation has changed because now you have an easy pass. It's all electronic. Right. There so aren't these tie ups. Right. They don't get the crashes. That's right. And you actually can be creative. All right. So here's the challenge that we see in the state of Connecticut, Paul, is that we're not, we don't have tolls. So people are just driving through Connecticut. Mm-hmm. They're not guessing in Connecticut. We can have a, the gas taxes higher mm-hmm. fee. So, and they're going to go now to, Mass- to Massachusetts and buy the marijuana. Mm-hmm. And so we're not so going to reap any of state. the benefit. We're, we're going to buy their state. marijuana, buy their gas, and pay their tolls. Pay their toll in Massachusetts, but we're not going to reap the benefits. So can you guys change that? That's the goal. <laughs> I, we, we both have one vote. <laughs> we'll but see. We have the power to persuade. We our have colleagues. the platform, and, and, right? and that's and that's one thing that I think that I'm trying to change my colleagues' perception on is that we're not just there as bureaucrats. We should be there as advocates. And if we believe mm-hmm. in something, uh, you know, it's the mentality of uh, do I want to do this or do I want to do this with an F yeah mentality? And I mm-hmm. think we should be F yeah mentality people is that if we want to do this and we want to be out there, we need to be pushing, pushing, pushing. Now, you know, we don't want to be fundamentalists and we want to be listening to people and always being open to like, maybe we're wrong, maybe we're wrong. But even within that context, if we're not being vocal, then I think that we're not doing our job. If you look back and like with Teddy Roosevelt and, and, and FDR, the things that they did really, really well and they, how they were able to get these like really big momentous changes was that they advocated and they knew that they were at the whim and will of the legislature. But to get the legislature to do things, they needed to get the people on the ground floor to get the legislature to do things. And I'm right in that mold. And I'm saying that, listen, I just I know I can't convince individual people of one thing, but I can do a really good job of convincing a lot of people to do that thing. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm not doing it by like whipping people up into a frenzy. All I'm doing is providing with the arguments that have convinced me. And it's been that simple. Alex Talbot says, F yeah, Josh Elliott. <laughs> Taking a book from President Trump on which, uh, which profanity used, but to a different end. Thank you for your comments on Facebook Live. Uh, before we leave, any gubernatorial candidates you've seen yet you think have the right message, the right campaign, or how's it looking to you? Here's, here's my philosophy on the governor's race. I'm not looking necessarily for champions. If I can get a champion, that would be great. Here's what I want. I want somebody, if they're in that office, and we get it through the legislature, don't kill it. 
That's all I ask. So we have Susan Bicewitz, who's going to be announcing soon. We have Ned Lamont, who will be announcing soon. No Bronin's in the race. And I'm sure that they will be all fine on the issues that are important to me. I personally am going to probably be supporting Bicewitz. I, I will see what all Why is that? Why is that? I've had a relationship with her over the past year, year and a half. And she has, uh, she's been there on all the issues that are important to me. And I think that she will advocate in a way that the others may not. But I'm going to keep an open mind for now, and I'm going to see what the other candidates are saying. But you are supporting Susan Bicewitz? As of right now, yes. But that can change. Uh, at any point in time, I like to allow myself the flexibility I don't know if I'd like that support if I were Susan Bicewitz. I don't want the person to say I'm for me. Well, I would also hope that Susan Bicewitz continues to uh, listen to my platform, and, and hopefully as it continues to shape her platform, then she will get stronger and stronger support. But right now, I think uh, lukewarm support is better than no support. And there's a number of candidates out there on the Democratic ticket that I firmly do not support. Name one. Uh, Dita Bergava. She's a very nice woman, but you cannot co-opt the term progressive just because you want it to be your own because it's politically expedient. Joe Gannam? Uh, Joe Gannam, nope. I think his time has come and gone. I think if the people of Bridgeport wanted him, that's fine, but I don't think he's good for, for the state of Connecticut. Juan, any candidates you'd like so far? I'm keeping my options open. All right. <laughs> I'm actually Juan's better at politics than I am. <laughs> and Alex Tavis says Tony Harp should run. Don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think she should run. I think she'll be a great candidate. I think she'd be a good candidate. Is she going to do too. it? I don't think she, she will. Yeah. But, it would, you know, it political circumstances change every day. Right. So we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All right, right. But we do know what happened today, which is that we had Josh Elliott and Juan Conolario, state representatives on Dateline New Haven. Sure I did. really feel honored that you guys came in on Martin Luther King Day. I really love talking to you guys and I hope you come back. I was Thank honored you, that Paul. I was invited, Thank Paul. Thank and Kate, <laughs> Kate Rosen writes in smart comma one. I think that was in reference to Tony Harp comment. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to... Thanks for joining us on Dateline New Haven today. Thanks to our guest state representatives Juan Condelaria and Joshua Elliott. A special thanks to the New Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Now, we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Mm -hmm.